Night Football book is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo with Sam Monson. It's a very special edition because, first off, we're getting into some off-season team needs. We're going to just get through the AFC. We'll see if we can make it into all four divisions here today, Sam. Uh, but second, we've got on YouTube, we got our cool little you know, podcast outline. Hmm. So, very special. Yeah, and which just means we're not in the studio. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not- the upshot of that fancy, uh, the fancy framing of us. But we're going to make do. We're going to make this whole thing happen, and uh, we're going to have a great show. So the start of uh, very many off-season shows. So we'll go through AFC off-season team needs. We'll have another show for the NFC. This week's going to be all over the place. You'll be out in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing some Super Bowl fun. We'll see if we can get some special guests. Uh, who knows? Who knows what this week is going to bring? But we'll, we'll kick it off here on a monday morning with some off-season team needs sound good yeah 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 special guests i'll uh we'll have tyler with us as well so we'll have the camera we'll have microphones we'll see what kind of sound and stuff we can get we'll have some interesting shows this week all right well let's get into uh we'll go team by team in the afc we'll start in the afc east with the buffalo bills as we look forward to our off-season team needs what are you looking at for the Bills here, Sam? They're a team that we've uh, we've talked about the secondary a lot through the years. They've never really attacked that number two cornerback position opposite Tredavious White. To me, that's always this annual thing where if they could upgrade it, I think it would be great, even though they've had a very good defense without that. Uh, they've done a nice job adding to their defensive line in, in recent years, but Jerry Hughes is a free agent and getting a little bit older. Uh, but when you look up and down their starting roster – it's not like they're missing a ton of players, only a handful of players scheduled to not return next year from this Bills team. Yeah, and obviously they're a good team. They they were a, a play away from beating Kansas City and being uh, in the AFC title game. They are one of the contenders year on year. There's not going to be a ton of holes on this roster just by the nature of, of how good they were. Um, but I think you know the, the Buffalo defense, it's going to overachieve every year because of the, the the scheme because of the coaching um and you look at that and you say well if they're able to be as good as they were this year which is by a lot of measures the number one defense in the nfl i, I think that was inflated a little bit by some of the offenses they played but let's say generally one of the best defenses in the nfl with a lot of personnel that isn't amazing you know they've got some good players there but they also have a lot that haven't yet been dominating when you look at the the pff grades in premium stats for the Buffalo defense, like they're good, but really the only two very good grades are the two safeties, right? Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. So you can look at that two ways. You can look at it and say, I mean, this is evidence that we don't need to spend on defense and we can allocate resources elsewhere and we can keep making sure that Josh Allen has receivers to throw to and, you know, wherever you want to spend the money. Or you can look at it and say, 
well, if we get to have one of the best defenses in the NFL with reasonable talent, what happens if we do make a concerted effort to upgrade the defensive talent and find some real superstar players and some elite playmaking skills and, you know, keep adding to that decent level, get them somewhere special. Like, does that, does it have the same effect? Does the scheme still overachieve that group? And you just end up creating one of those, you know, great defenses like those uh, Legion of Boom or the, the Denver defense or, you know, whatever it is, like, does that, is that the effect it has? So I think, I would take this year and, and throw some decent resources at that defense. Yeah. The other interesting thing that you kept citing was how the bills were built to maybe beat the chiefs, uh, which obviously they didn't do, but they were built, you know, from back to front, you know, with a, with a, with a good solid secondary. Do you continue down that path or, you know, the other teams in the AFC that you have to beat, you have to beat a power running uh, Patriots team. You have to beat Joe Burrow and the Bengals and uh, Justin Herbert and the chargers. So, you need a good, well-rounded defense, but I do think this could be another year to attack defensive line, but more so on the interior with Harrison Phillips, a free agent, uh, Vernon Butler, also a free agent. Ed Oliver did have his best season this past year as a disruptive, undersized defensive tackle, but he's still not your great run defender, right? There are games where the Bills get run over, which we've talked about. So I think defensive tackle, certainly a need. For the Bills this offseason, I think that cornerback spot opposite Tredavious White. And, uh, you know, if you look at our mock draft simulator, if you go in, click on the Bills, and you look at team needs, we talk about defensive line, but also wide receiver. And that's not because the current talent isn't good with Stephon Diggs, the great Gabriel Davis, and with Cole Beasley. But the Josh Allen era has really taken off since the Bills have been rolling four deep at wide receiver. So with Emmanuel Sanders older and also not under contract for next year, I think attacking receiver once again, just to keep the depth there because the last two seasons where Allen's had his breakout, they've had four legitimate receivers. So if guys get hurt or just, you know, they use four receivers a bunch, I think it's uh, another place where the bills can look this off season. Yeah. They're in that world where they, they have a couple of areas where you could definitely stand to upgrade, but they also need to just maintain the roster and make sure it doesn't uh, erode in, in areas of strength. And that's always, a very difficult thing to do. If you've had a ton of wide receivers, um, it's difficult to keep a group that, that that's that good intact. So all for keeping, keep drafting receivers, you know, not, not necessarily in the first round or even the first two, but you can get quality wide receivers, you know, lower down the draft. So keep on hammering. And I think the same thing is kind of true for that defensive line, even, even on the edge. I know they drafted a couple of guys last year in, in Rousseau and Basham. Um, but Jerry Hughes is probably leaving town and he's been still the biggest source of pass rush you have. It certainly wouldn't be a bad thing. I think if you kind of overloaded on that position and made sure that you're not going to have a significant drop off from Hughes. The one other spot, you know, there was a point in the season where it looked like the bills had a serious guard issue. Uh, having a rookie Spencer Brown able to play right tackle with Daryl Williams kicking inside to guard helps that a little bit, but the left guard position uh, could be something to attack as well for the Bills. But I think as we talk through this, Sam, the nucleus is there, man. I mean, the nucleus yeah. for this Bills team, very much intact. It's not a desperate offseason by any measure. I think in the draft, they did a nice job last year getting some high upside uh, trench players, both on uh, on the offensive and defensive line. They can continue with that strategy. But I do think uh, making sure that they stay strong at receiver, uh, replenish the defensive line, 
even more. And then that cornerback two spot, I think are going to be the big ones for me this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Bills are relatively, you know, straightforward one because as you said, they, they don't need an awful lot. And the positions that they, they can afford to attack, I think are fairly, fairly straightforward. All right, we're going to move on to the Miami Dolphins. But first, reminder that the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on these roster moves we're talking about, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home? Planning to start a family? Wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, let's move on to the Miami Dolphins. Still don't have a head coach. Still don't know exactly what's going to happen there in Miami. But uh, a team that I think has uh, another team that has continued to build their roster. They've done a pretty nice job as far as getting talent in there back from that 2019 team that was one of the worst, if not the worst, in the NFL as far as on paper goes. Secondary's been in a good spot. Their defensive line emerged last year. But offensive line... Even though everybody's coming back, it looks like that's one of those places that just obviously needs to be attacked here for the Dolphins this offseason. Yeah, and the reports are right now that uh, Mike McDaniel is going to be the head coach. They're working on a deal as of now. So by the time this podcast actually goes out into the wide world live, uh, that might be a done deal. Um, but He's yeah. been getting a lot of hype these last few weeks, just like being interviewed and saying yeah. smart things. In a, in a, uh, it's interesting because I think – uh, the the Shanahan tree that in, has included McDaniel has has always done a really nice job of developing quarterbacks. So this could be uh, this could be huge for Tua. Could be. Uh, it could also be huge for uh, Bobby Slowick, former former PFF uh, analyst, former former appearance on the podcast. Like he did a couple yeah. of podcasts with us back in the day. Uh, so yeah, maybe Bobby moves up in the world in San Francisco if uh, if Mike gets that job in Miami. But you're right. The like the most obvious thing that Miami needs is an offensive line, like a complete one, start to finish, rebuild the entire thing. I'm not sure there's a single member of that offensive line that, you know, deserves saving or that like isn't a, an eminently upgradable spot. Robert Hunt, I guess, would be the closest one. Um, but they desperately need to put something viable in front of whoever the quarterback is. Let's assume it's two going forward, but maybe it isn't. Like maybe a new head coach comes in and goes – no, not not for me. Um, and wants a new quarterback as well. Whatever it is, they can't have the kind of platform that they had for him last season with that offensive line, which was just disastrous. Yeah, just to put numbers to that, PFF grades, remember anything in the mid-60s or so is about average. Last year's grades, Liam Eikenberg at left tackle was at 50. Austin Jackson, both between tackle and guard, under 50. Uh, Jesse Davis at right tackle, 52. Michael Dieter at center, 60. Um, so four below average. You mentioned Robert Hunt. He's the one guy grading in the green there. So um, every position, even though they have invested in, in the offensive line in the last couple of years, still something they need to, uh, to sort out there in Miami. So I think that's, a, that's certainly a key one. Tight end is going to be a huge one too because on paper, they don't have one, right? Mike Gusecki and Durham Smythe, both free agents for next season. Gasecki's a tight end in name. He lines up out wide quite a bit. We'll see if they try to bring him back. But when he is back, if he is if he is back, it is a nice little nucleus of Mike Gasecki, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Parker at receiver. Uh, what they've built there is from a playmaker standpoint, even without getting anything from Will Fuller this offseason, they did a nice job of, 
of adding those playmakers. I think bringing Gasecki back would be uh, would be pretty crucial just to have uh, the, keeping those playmakers there so they can focus on that offensive line this offseason. It would be interesting to see what they do if uh, Mike McDaniel is the head coach in terms of how they go about replicating San Francisco's you know, unique offense and unique in terms of weaponry, uh, unique in terms of playmakers. That entire offense in San Francisco is kind of staffed with these guys that are unusual athletes and unusual playmakers and unusual skill sets. Miami doesn't really have that. I mean, Jalen Waddell would be a relatively unusual skill set. Devontae Parker is a lot more kind of conventional. But, you know, what does that do for a guy like Mike Gusecki and his potential for coming back is he not interested at all in a guy like Gusecki because he's not really a blocker or is he the kind of offensive mind that just wants talented playmakers and is prepared to figure out the way to use Mike Gusecki that in a way that the Dolphins I don't think necessarily did a fantastic job of up until now yeah that's it's a good question because of uh how much they run with an inline tight end the 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 whole shanahan tree right you like to have that inline tight end you like to trust them but they've all adjusted right sean mcveigh's done his own thing with with tight ends and split them out wide a bunch and all that so uh mcdaniel strikes me as the guy that uh will would make the best of those situations you know or w- whatever he's given as far as players go but yeah gasicki technically going to be a free agent there the other place or places to maybe take a look here. Uh, edge rusher is a place where, again, uh, you know, the Dolphins have gotten pretty good production out of uh, last year was Emmanuel Ogba. He hits free agency. Andrew Van Ginkle's been an underrated player around the NFL these last couple of years. They just drafted Jalen Phillips, but it looks like uh, it's another position that they should uh, continue to address because they did a much better job in the interior. And again, we don't really know exactly what the defensive scheme looks like. Are they running? Uh, more of a 3-4 base, a 4-3 base. It doesn't change a ton, but having true edge rushers uh, and you know adding to that pipeline I think is going to be important for the Dolphins as well. Yeah, and a new head coach I think is probably useful for that because the, you know, the, the regime, uh, if it was completely intact and there was no changes, might have been looking at that and saying, well, we drafted Jalen Phillips in the first round a year ago. We're good. We don't need to mess with it. Uh, even if Jalen Phillips wasn't very productive at all year one. I'm not saying you give up on them already, but I'm saying you probably already want to think about, well, let's let's build in some contingency there because you probably can't rely on him being your one superstar edge rusher based off what you saw in year one. Doesn't mean you can't get there, but you can't really rely on it. Real quick, Sam, Dolphins fans are listening to us, listening to us saying, what are you talking about? Jalen Phillips had a ton of sacks and he matched, you know, Jason Taylor's rookie marks and all this stuff. Again, pass rush grade. The actual down-to-down production for Phillips was not great in year one. Run defense, not great in year one. Uh, Still think he's a good player. You know, I like him as a good player, but I don't think he was this incredible rookie edge rusher for the Dolphins, maybe as as some of the sack totals and the the records maybe would indicate. And he looked at his best when they were moving him around the defensive front, which they didn't do in too many games. There were a couple of games where they started moving him around inside and letting him rush against guards. And I thought when they did that, he actually looked really effective. And then when he went back to being like a pure edge rusher, it just didn't have the same level of production and was – was kind of controlled a little bit in the run game as well. So, yeah, not a great or a good example, I think, of how Sachs didn't necessarily paint an accurate picture of how he played in year one. But as I say, I'm not writing the guy off. I think he's entirely likely to 
be significantly better next year. But if you're Miami, like this is, it's a, it's a defensive equivalent of the cautionary tale that you just lived through on the offensive line, right? No, we've got all these young players. They're going to develop in year two. We're good there. We don't need to, we don't need to overhaul this offensive line. We don't need to add a bunch more players because the guys we have, we think will be good. Well, it didn't really happen that way at all. And you had to suffer through a year's worth of terrible offensive line play. I'm just saying that could be the reality of what happens if you're like, no, we don't need to address edge rusher because the rookie that we drafted a year ago had us, has it covered. We had him with 10 sacks, Jalen Phillips, only 39 total pressures. Five of those 10 sacks, though, came against the Panthers in what I declared the worst offensive line performance or one of the worst offensive line performance yeah. of our lifetime. And, of course, the guy, too, against the Giants as well. Uh, just to wrap up the Dolphins discussion, with Devontae Parker, with Jalen Waddle, let's pretend Gasicki's back. You know me, Sam, all offseason, when I say get that third, fourth receiver, what's the best type of receiver for this Dolphins team to add to the mix? You've got a big body, Devontae Parker, who can get, who does a really nice job catching the ball down the field. You have Waddle, who I think, you know, he showed in the gimmick stuff he could be productive. As an actual receiver and a deep threat, I think he showed that he could be productive. What's the balance there for maybe a third wide receiver to complement those skill sets? Um, again, I think that kind of depends on what what they want to do with that offense and, and McDaniel if he if he's going to run something similar to San Francisco. Because the thing we've been saying with the 49ers for years is that their number one receiver, quote unquote, is not like an elite it's not a prototypical X wide receiver that we talked about on the show uh, the other day on Wednesday, it's been George Kittle or all of a sudden it's Debo Samuel. It's like, it's one of these unusual skill set guys. Maybe Jalen Waddle becomes that for this team. And then you have a big body in uh, Devonte Parker. You need something at tight end, whether that's Kaseki or a guy that you bring in in as a, in the draft or in free agency. And then at that point, I don't think you have like a glaring, uh, omission or a, a gla glaring absence from the skill set i think you just need to grab you know another player or two all right let's move on to the new england patriots uh coming off of a season where they they bounced back from a you know a non-playoff season in new england in 2020 and i think all the talk in new england right now is a number one wide receiver get max some weapons we're back to that discussion when it comes to patriots team building uh, they brought in Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne last year. Jacoby Myers has been a good, solid player for them. But true number one wide receiver, it feels like it should be uh, top of the list here for the Patriots. Yeah, which which makes things interesting, right? Because they're, they <laughs> presumably are not going to draft one because that doesn't ever work out well for the Patriots, right? They, they, <laughs> they butchered it so badly the last time they did it that they stayed out of the first round of the draft for wide receivers for like a decade came back in and got Nikhil Harry um, just ahead of the likes of Debo Samuel and AJ Brown and, you know, the other very good receivers they could have drafted. So I would assume they're back out of the drafting wide receivers at the top of the draft game, maybe forever, like for as long as Bill Belichick is there. Um, but there are some interesting players in free agency or guys they could trade for that would be intriguing. Um, and I agree. I mean, if you're, if you're buying into Mac Jones and what he can be and his ceiling, then absolutely upgrade on Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, um, Jacoby Myers. Like they have players that are functional, that are useful, that are productive, but they're not 
scary number one receivers that a guy like Mac Jones can lean on like every play and just know that guy's going to be open. And the tough thing about this group, though, is that they just spent so much money on the two tight ends, John U. Smith and Hunter Henry. Not a ton of money on Kendrick Bourne right off the bat. Decent amount of money on Nelson Aguilar. And so they got they spent a lot of money on complimentary pieces, but not that alpha receiver. There's uh, some rumors that Calvin Ridley might be available from the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, he would be a nice fit, I think, for uh, for the Patriots, a good route runner. And, and let's not we, – we've seen New England go this route before as far as getting, uh, say, a Brandon Cooks, right? They've, they've been willing in the past to trade a first-rounder for a Brandon Cooks. But at the same time, a lot of their moves historically in the Belichick era are, you know, uh, restricted free agent tenders, you know, so second-round picks for Wes Welker and for – for Chris Hogan, right? So for more Aguilar or Bourne types. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they tru- truly try to get that uh, number one wide receiver. The other thing about New England, Josh McDaniels moves on now, Sam. Yeah. And they they don't have an offensive coordinator. And, and for the first time in the Belichick era, they're talking about going outside the organization to bring in an offensive coordinator. This offense has not changed. Since 2000, it hasn't changed. Terminology hasn't changed. The basic plays haven't changed. Of course, they've added to it and all that stuff, but they have never gone outside the organization. So there's a chance things look a little bit different offensively as far as the structure goes, just because they might have to hire from outside. And it's changed a lot in terms of, um, you know, how they've emphasized the various elements in the offense, right? So when you say it hasn't changed, you mean the terminology, the structure, the plays, yeah. all those kinds of things. But obviously it's been through like multiple vastly different iterations from how that, how all that works, whether it was the firing deep stuff, whether it was the nothing deep and all, everything horizontal, whether it was the two tight end stuff with Gronk and Hernandez. Um, and that's the other element of this, right? Is that they threw all this money at John o. Smith and Hunter Henry last year. And we were expecting this offense to go back to being this power football smash mouth, two tight end system and it really didn't. I mean, John o. Smith barely featured uh, during the season. Hunter Henry start, was, a, was a much bigger factor as the year wore on, but it didn't become the kind of offense that people were expecting it to. Maybe that maybe last year was kind of just laying the groundwork, and this is when we actually start to see them lean on that more, and they don't need to go and find that number one wide receiver. They can, in fact, lean on the two guys that they paid a ton of money to at, at tight end. Uh, defensive side of the ball too so Stephon Gilmore they already traded him their top corner JC Jackson hits free agency Uh, New England does not tend until last year they haven't tended to really pay top dollar for free agents Stephon Gilmore was one of the first guys that like that Belichick really invested in right and and, uh, we've seen I think basically since uh, since early last decade Belichick being willing to go get that cornerback one he did it with Akib Tlaib he did it with Darrell Revis with Stephon Gilmore does he see J.C. Jackson in that light? Because if he doesn't, you're looking at this cornerback depth chart. They have Jalen Mills, Jonathan Jones in the slot, Justin Bethel, Jawan Williams, Miles Bryant. It's kind of the crew that they rolled out there when they just gave up 49 points to the Bills in uh, in the AFC playoffs. So it feels like J.C. Jackson needs to be a top priority, and it, whether he is or not, another cornerback on top of that as far as needs go. Yeah, I would be amazed if they didn't like at this point it looks like jc jackson has all the leverage like okay he's you can debate whether he's been as good as his coverage numbers throughout his nfl career but 
the point is, like, if you're J.C. Jackson going to the go to the negotiating table with the Patriots, you're like, like, what is your plan if I walk out of here? I mean, right? Maybe, maybe I'm not worth the the kind of crazy numbers that I'm putting up, uh, or I'm not quite that good, or the system is helping, or whatever it is. But like, if I leave, your number one corner is Jalen Mills, who most people didn't want as you know on the field. Period. Like the Patriots either need some significant investment somewhere else or they got to give JC Jackson the cash. And I think he probably is worth it at this point. So he, I, I think they desperately need to keep him around and pay him whatever that takes to, to make that happen. You definitely want a number one, a number two corner as well. And to throw some resources there because, you know, Jalen Mills is your alternative, but Mills actually was reasonable this year for the Patriots, certainly better than I thought he would be. Um, so it's maybe not as, as an acute, uh, as glaring a need as it looks like it should be. But if JC Jackson isn't there, then that's, uh, that's one of the biggest needs in the NFL. Yeah, definitely a position that needs depth though, even at worst, even if JC Jackson is back, the other spots on the team linebacker, you've got Jawan Bentley and Dante Hightower, both, uh, done with their contracts, Jamie Collins, Harvey Lange. I mean, there are no linebackers on the roster at the moment, uh, really for the Patriots. So linebacker is going to be a position safety potentially a position uh, they did re-sign adrian phillips you've got kyle duggar there but devin mccordy getting a little bit older also a free agent he's you know in his mid-30s so uh, that could be a position to address as well uh also a tackle you've got isaiah win and uh no isaiah wins back but uh trent brown being a free agent so uh they have the great michael Onwenu. so you know they could put him at guard you could put him at tackle uh, and Weno can do anything. So maybe he just steps in at right tackle, but offensive line depth always, you know, something to look at for New England. The Uwenu thing has been very strange. Um, I, th- I mean, I think he's been at their best offensive lineman since they drafted him. And something season- happened last year because we still had a good, not, not again, not that our grades are perfect. We still had a good grade on him. He wasn't seeing time. I don't know what was happening there as far as the fit last season. Right. Well, as soon as everybody got healthy, he went, he was the guy that went to the bench, right? He part of the, I think part of the deal is that he has that position versatility and has been successful at multiple different spots. And I, I think coaches just love those guys as a, as a backup option, a guy that can cover multiple different spots. Um, so when Trent Brown got healthy and the rest of that offensive line, like when was the guy that took a seat on the bench. And I think, I mean, he has to be starting for that team. He's too good to be rotting on the bench. So maybe it is, you know, Trent Brown was a, was a short term rental that just enabled them to move on from, um, Marcus Cannon and, and they will pitch that over to Awenu. but like, God, if they, if he doesn't start next year, something is, is very wrong there. All I know is a player like Awenu makes these discussions so much easier when you talk about a guy that can play guard, can play tackle, do it at a high level, uh, just makes your team-building decisions all the easier. But anyway, the offseason talk in New England is going to be centered around the high-profile wide receiver one and seeing if they go that route for Mac Jones in year two. We'll get to the Jets in a minute here, but it's the moment we've been waiting for since September. It's finally here in honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56 is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you could play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a million-dollar top prize with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. 
Use promo code PFF. Get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. It's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Must be 21 or older. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. That's it. That's all we have to call this week. All right. New York Jets. We're making good time-ish. Mm. We're going through the AFC East here. Uh, not to put a damper on the other show the other day, right? The mock draft show when everybody told you this will never happen, right? Derek Stingley will never be picked at number four. Uh, listening to Robert Sala talk a little bit at the Senior Bowl this week, though, I'm starting to believe it might never happen <laughs> because he truly does believe his defense functions from front to back, from the defensive line. And it does seem like, hey, Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be very much on their radar. Aiden Hutchinson, if he's there, going to be on their radar. Uh, even with the Carl Lawson signing last offseason, Quinnen Williams coming back, I do believe defensive line is going to be a top priority for the Jets. And this will be an interesting team-building discussion here because all they have at corner is a whole bunch of guys who have played okay at best and were drafted in the fifth round or later. But they're going to really attack this offensive line, I think. Um, and try to replicate what the what the Niners had. Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa and defensive line. D yeah. Ford, right? Defensive line. Yeah. So I, I think defensive line is going to be a top priority here for the Jets this offseason. Yeah. And look, I don't I don't think that's crazy. Like I, I don't think it <laughs> their defensive line needs a lot of help as well. Um Quinn and Williams has been a good player. John Franklin Myers, I think it's been good. They should get Carl Lawson back, remember, who was there a free agent signing a year ago and didn't play right injured himself and missed the whole year so it it should be different um or they have like pieces that that will be solid i think in place even before they they add some um add some players in the offseason but yeah like absolutely you can never have too much defensive line talent my point with the Derek stingley thing is simply being um i think generally we assume that edge rusher and offensive tackle are safer positions at to the top of the draft than potentially they are. And also maybe that they have a disproportionate impact on how good you can be as a group uh, on defense. Whereas corner and wide receiver are these two positions that we we've kind of forgotten about to a degree, like corners, a corner has never gone number one overall in the draft. Right. And, you know, you have to go back to 96, Keyshawn when a wide receiver was last number one but that's like since then it's been when wide receiver and cornerback has been the most important thing in the NFL like after quarterback obviously like the league has gone pass heavy you know you don't have to go back that far to find running backs and you know big powerful linebackers going number one overall the league I think is past that where they know that that's just that's silly now that those guys do not make the kind of impact that they once did but it doesn't, they haven't like followed that logic through to its ultimate conclusion, which is, well, if these guys are not that valuable anymore, where did the value go? And it went over here to wide receivers and cornerbacks as well as pass rushers and offensive tackle. But it's, it seems like they just kind of stopped halfway and went, no, that's, we draft a tackle, we draft a, an edge rusher. That's it. That's the two options if we're not taking a quarterback. I just think that a guy like Stingley or, you know, Sauce Gardner or whatever, like a top corner, top wide receiver in terms of impact and value should be in that discussion. Um, but uh, yeah, like if the, if the Jets came out of the draft um, and with their first pick, they grabbed one of the, the top edge rushers, it, it wouldn't be a bad pick. 
Yeah, the Jets' entire secondary is on this needs list, though. I mean, they they, they don't have a corner with a better grade than 63 this past year, Bryce Hall. Um, and I think Bryce Hall's established himself as a guy that could be a solid number two yeah. in the NFL. He's had a, a, a decent career, uh, you know, as a fifth-round pick who had, you know, first-round caliber talent before his injury. But I, I could see Hall as a two. And you've got LaMarcus Joyner and Marcus May, both as, as free agents at safety. So safety is going to be, I mean, it, it could be a whole overhaul for the Jets. And they're going to probably look for more edge rushers, right? They're going to look for more complimentary pieces for Carl Lawson. And then the big question offensively, okay, how, what do you do for Zach Wilson here? I think the, the offensive line after years of being among the league's worst, they've got some pieces now, right? I mean, they have Makai... Let's say we could count on Makai Becton. He's had injuries, but let's you know let's count on him going forward. And Elijah Vera Tucker, Connor McGovern, three fifths of your offensive line at least looks like it's intact. Whereas in past years, the Jets came into the offseason with zero out of five intact. Right? I mean, so that's a huge start. I would love to bring back Morgan Moses as your as your right tackle, take care of that. But uh, the receiver position with Elijah Moore and Corey Davis leading the way there. Jamison Crowder hitting free agency, they need the number one, too, in New York. The same discussion as the Patriots, right? Get Corey Davis to be a number two wide receiver, which he is. Let Elijah Moore win from the slot, which he does best. Get that true number one wide receiver, whether it's in free agency or whether it's uh, in the draft. You know, is it an Allen Robinson in free agency? I mean, the, he, he could be a great fit for what the Jets do. I, I think they they need to seriously think about that wide receiver one and then from a deploying resources standpoint, we had the daily the other day. They've got a lot of resources. They've got a lot to spend draft capital and money wise. They can get a true number one receiver. They can get their pass rusher. They could probably revamp their secondary. This is a huge off season for the jets, but they do come in with these glaring needs and important positions. Yeah. Um, and they are, as you said, like the most important positions and, the most important position overall is still a question mark in terms of Zach Wilson. Um, not that they're going to go and, you know, find competition or find an upgrade for Wilson, but that we still don't know if Zach Wilson is going to be the guy for the Jets. So I think they, they're going to attack that pretty hard in terms of trying to find him an upgrade at receiver. Um, Corey Davis functions better as a two. Uh, Elijah Moore showed some nice things as a rookie. They need to find that number. They're another team that needs to find that elite number one. I think a lot of people will give them offensive linemen. I think that offensive line is actually fine. Like, sure, could they use some contingency and depth and all those kinds of things? Yeah, but like what offensive line the NFL couldn't. But I, I think that's the offensive line is one of the least of their concerns. Receiver, the entire secondary basically needs an upgrade. And yeah, if they find some... Uh, if their first pick goes on an edge rusher because that's one of the best players in the draft, I don't think that would be a bad pick either. Yeah, so big year for the Jets. Again, I think the the, the wide receiver discussion is going to be an interesting one. What they do at four and ten in the draft, and which way they go if it is uh, if it is defensive line. If they do try to get that true number one wide receiver there, uh, but they also get the money to spend in free agency too. They got to keep chipping away. But uh, I'll be keeping an eye on that secondary in that receiver position for the Jets, especially as far as uh, as far as big needs go. All right, we made it through the AFC East. I think that's fair. Well done. Let's go to the AFC North. You want to just knock out the Bengals really quick here? Hmm. Do we? Uh, what are their needs? They need a Super Bowl win because we're still okay. Uh, their season's still alive, 
and for the second straight year, well, not for the second straight year, this year, instead of debating O-line versus receiver, we just know offensive line is the thing that's going to be discussed in Cincinnati as their top beat. Yeah. Um, and the offensive line was better this year. Like they, they made some moves last year. It's not like they ignored it completely. They didn't draft Panay Sewell. They drafted Jamar Chase instead. Um, but they did add players to that offensive line. And it was better this year than it was a year ago where it seemed inevitably destined to get Joe Burrow killed. Now, the problem they had late in the year is that they got some injuries and all of a sudden they had to go to the depth players. And whereas Riley Reef had been like a solid passable right tackle, Isaiah Prince was problematic. And right guard, whether it's Adenogy, whether it's Jackson Carmen, neither one of those guys has been able to hold up, particularly down the stretch and into the playoffs against these elite interior pass rushers. So, yeah, like the offensive line is absolutely the thing that you need to do. And they're in – this was something we talked about in the offseason before where, like, Joe Burrow is a quarterback that stylistically probably doesn't make life too much too, – doesn't make life very easy for his offensive line. <clears throat> Takes some sacks that he shouldn't, holds onto the ball a little bit longer than he should, just generally doesn't necessarily paper over cracks that exist on his offensive line. Um. Now, he's playing as well as anybody under pressure right now, so it's not like it's a, a yeah. one-way street. But you probably need to put a better offensive line in front of him than you would need to for some other quarterbacks in order for you to sort of properly eliminate the offensive line as a as a problem area. Yeah, and it's a tribute to Burrow and to Chase and Higgins and, and this everybody around that offensive line. that we're, It's a line that's going to have Quentin Spain at left guard hitting free agency. He's played well this year. But they could could they upgrade at center? Yes. Could they upgrade at right guard? Absolutely. And then you mentioned right tackle, where they just brought in Riley Reef on a one year contract. So right tackle will be another place where they'll look. So uh, we could be looking at a team that could handle two or three new starters in Cincinnati, unless they truly believe in last year's Jackson Carmen in the second round and, and those guys developing. Uh, but letting a Jackson Carmen develop in year two, that's a lot easier to swallow if you do have. Uh, Morgan Moses is going to be my Ali Villanueva this year, by the way. Okay. Everybody sign Morgan, sign Morgan Moses to play right tackle, right? I mean, if you have a good veteran that you could trust at right tackle, it's easier to, to stomach, so to speak, second year development at guard. So I think a mix of veterans and probably the draft is the way the Bengals should be going here. Um, and then defensively, uh, look, just because the team's in the Super Bowl, it doesn't mean they're perfect. They're spending all their money. In the a lot of their money in the secondary on Trey Waynes, who hasn't even been a part <laughs> of this Super Bowl run here, right? Uh, Eli Apple's done a really nice job for them uh, down the stretch here, but Eli Apple isn't under contract, and now you know figuring out that that cornerback position with Trey Waynes with only one year left on his contract, probably finding a cornerback opposite Cheetahway Awuzie that's going to be a long term option there would make sense here for the Bengals. Yeah, um, Eli Apple's done a reasonable job just as long as you don't need him to catch the ball uh that's right. that's where it falls down a little bit um but yeah they they did everything they did last offseason pretty much turned to gold like they they nailed almost every single personnel move that they made including adding guys to that secondary awuzie mike hilton um awuzie in particular had like a career year this year so first question next year is well what does that look like in year two right does he regress does he go back um or is he a better player in Cincinnati than he was in previous uh, stuff? 
that I think is a big thing. And even if like, regardless of whether or not you're getting this year's version of Awuzie next year, you need to upgrade on the other spot. Um, and you're going to need to pay Jesse Bates a ton of money at some point if you want to keep him in town. And I think you should based off how he's played the last two years. He hasn't been as good this year as he was last season, but he's been pretty good. And he's been making like a series of really important critical plays on defense throughout the playoffs for you. So a ton of money has got to go to Jesse Bates. You need to find a second corner that can hold up and be a, a plus player. And then, you know, Cincinnati linebacker has been a problem for years, but that isn't unique to the Bengals either. So there you go, Cincinnati Bengals. This isn't fix your team in five minutes. It's just kind of like declare the issues. And we'll come back in about a month and we'll fix your team in five minutes with actual answers for everything here. All right, let's go to the Baltimore Ravens and and their big needs. I thought um, when you step back at a high level and look at what the – what the Ravens did this year uh, versus last year. Last year at this time, I think we were having that number one wide receiver discussion quite a bit, right? Get Lamar that number one. What does this offense look like? You've said that a million times during the offseason. When you look at this team, though, the way Mark Andrews emerged almost as almost Kelsey-ish as far as how uncoverable Mark Andrews was. Rashad Rashad Bateman was solid. Marquise Brown was, was pretty good as a deep threat. This was the best group of playmakers that they had in Baltimore and uh, Lamar's injury and just, you know, some inconsistent play at quarterback. They, they, it didn't pay off, but I think they're in a much better spot as far as the perimeter goes offensively. Uh, A lot of the questions I think are going to be, can they, are are they going to overcommit resources in the secondary where they had all those injuries and you've got, you know, guys like Marcus Peters hurt, but also heading into their last year, their contract, where are the Ravens going to be focusing a lot of their stuff this offseason? I think there's a few different areas between the secondary, front seven, and then maybe they think receiver again, but I thought they were in a really good sh- shape uh, at the end of the year. Yeah, I would imagine they're fairly well set at receiver. Um, Bateman you know, missed the early part of the season but looked impressive, and, and it wasn't. He was looking impressive in a, in a passing offense. It wasn't necessarily functioning. So I think that's encouraging for them going forward. Marquise Brown is obviously a dangerous, uh, speedy receiver. Mark Andrews does the job of whatever missing component you have in terms of receiver depth there. The big thing for the the Ravens is that they're getting so many guys back because of injuries, just taking them all out this year. So the whole situation starts to look better when you look at the the healthy bodies that are going to be coming back. But all of a sudden, I think up front, the defensive line um, could really use an injection of youth in particular, just some guys that are, are younger than the, the old hands they've had doing that job. And then the offensive line, I think, still needs some work. Like Ronnie Stanley hopefully coming back at, at 100% at left tackle. But that offensive line this season was nowhere near as good as it's been in years past. And you know, they're potentially losing Bozeman at center to free agency. I would try and keep him around if I was Baltimore. But either way, you've got two or three spots in that offensive line that all of a sudden are either question marks or substandard play or just not the unit that you want it to be going forward. So I think they need to basically plow some resource into both sides of the line of scrimmage. Yeah, including Villanueva performing well below his, uh, his career baseline last year so maybe right tackle ends up being uh i think a place to think about they did re-sign patrick bakari who did a nice job filling in at right tackle but i also don't necessarily uh to me he's a 
you know, you could play him at guard, you could play him at tackle in a pinch, but I don't think he's going to keep you from getting a really good right tackle added to the mix there if you're the Ravens. Uh, you mentioned the defensive line. Calais Campbell hits free agency. Brandon Williams, the big nose tackle. Um, so that's two out of your three starters, but also two out of your three guys. I know Williams has been in and out of the lineup the last couple of years, but those guys have been uh, awesome against the run. Campbell, uh, great trade by the Ravens. It's you know, sending a late rounder for him a couple of years ago, uh, you know, at reasonably priced and everything. So part of the advantage that the Ravens have had on the defensive line, having a guy like Calais Campbell on the cheap for little, uh, you, you're losing that this year. So I think it's going to be a big, it's probably going to be a big trench year for the Ravens, both yeah. lines that they have to look at um, and, and kind of not necessarily getting back to that power run game, but probably finding people like that, right? Zeitler's not necessarily that guy. Villain wave is not necessarily that guy as far as just pure road grading uh, offensive linemen. I, I want to see if they do get back to that a little bit more as far as how they're going to rebuild that line on the and offense. Then- like the other interesting thing will be, even though those guys are coming back healthy, they have so much money tied up in the secondary with their corners. Yeah. Like Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, they're all on a lot of cash. And Humphrey this year wasn't playing well, like at all. Um, I, I think in the past, he's been arguably one of the best corners in the entire league, but he was struggling this season. Now, maybe you can just say, look, the whole thing around him was falling apart and sure, it's going to make his job harder. But if you're Baltimore and you're saying, it would be really it would be a really nice situation if we drafted a guy that all of a sudden could potentially replace one of those contracts with a rookie contract going forward it wouldn't be amongst their most acute needs but it would certainly be something i, th- I would imagine a front office as smart as baltimore's is is planning this offseason yeah i think last year i was even saying hey continue to add corners just you know for the future peters uh, heads into his last year of his contract where he's making 14 million per year across the life of it. So yeah, I think, uh, I, I think the secondary is another place. I mean, the Ravens have, I think on paper more needs than it felt like they've had over the last couple of years. So I think it's a big year for them to replenish and, and look the the AFC, you know, Super Bowl, uh, the AFC winner is, is in their division right now. It's like you're chasing the Bengals, right? People thought we were, everyone was, was chasing the Ravens and now they're uh, maybe chasing Cincinnati. So they've got some work to do, I think. Both sides of the ball, but particularly in the trenches this offseason. I do want to get to the Browns, but it's almost Valentine's Day. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Don't let a wild pew break you. Mm-hmm. Valentine's Day, just around the corner. Our sponsors of Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This V-Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-belt grooming. With their exclusive offer, you go to manscapes.com, use the promo code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. Holidays went by. Did you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job? You probably forgot. You probably forgot to get the four, the, the performance package 4.0 around Christmas time when we told you to, but you have another chance to get it. It's all from Manscaped. It's what every guy needs in their life right now. Manscaped wants to make February 13th National Shave Your Balls Day, right? I mean, it's just, it's all happening right mm. now so if you missed out in the holiday season <coughs> manscaped created their products for a night just like this they'll make your v-day date say wow great set of balls there you got there that's a quote that's a direct quote they promised it 20 percent off and free shipping that's what you get with the promo code pff at manscapes.com 20 percent off plus free shipping at manscapes.com the promo code's pff join cupid shoot your arrow with manscaped this valentine's day 
you i just i didn't hear exactly what you were saying but i just heard a lot of agreement a lot of nodding and agreement right oh yeah beautiful great start to finish from start to finish let's go to the cleveland browns um sometimes you just look at a depth chart and i'm i'm looking at it right now and uh or there's just first off sometimes the depth chart screams at you like here's the need this is a defensive line off season for the Cleveland Browns, because out of their top eight players, they've got two under contract, including uh, Miles Garrett being one of them. So that's the first thing. The second thing, this is another team, the Patriots, the Jets, the Browns are going to be talking about that wide receiver one. Where's that top wide receiver? We thought we made the move for OBJ. It didn't work out a couple years ago. We need a top receiver. Uh, we need somebody to take the attention from Jarvis Landry and Donovan Peoples-Jones. So I think receiver and defensive line are going to be the hottest topics in Cleveland this offseason. Yeah, I mean, they absolutely need that number one wide receiver. And, you know, the, people are people are doing sort of victory laps and the, oh, look, OBJ was right all along kind of thing. And, yeah, there were people that were kind of taking sides of, is it Baker, is it OBJ? But I think the kind of rational people were always, it, it's, it's both right for whatever reason the thing just isn't working here and the browns at that point were right to get rid of him like it's not that what he's done so far with the rams invalidates the browns getting rid of him because you know he wasn't going to do that with the ram with the browns right right and you didn't really have an alternative to be like well whatever reason the chemistry between obj and baker mayfield isn't working so let's keep obj bench baker mayfield I mean, sure, they could have benched him for Case Keenum given his injury, but I, I don't know that that was fixing anything. The point is, it just wasn't functioning, and they recognized that, let him go. It was a good thing for OBJ, who gets to go and potentially try and win a Super Bowl with the Rams, but it does mean that the Browns are right back where they started, which is, you know, we might have a quarterback in Baker Mayfield. Now we need to give him some receivers to play with because – Jarvis Landry is a nice wide receiver, but he's not a, an elite number one that can uh, take away that kind of high-end coverage. Anthony Schwartz is just speed and nothing else at this point. Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, flashes incredible playmaking ability, but it, it's just flashes at this point. They need a guy that can be what OBJ was supposed to be. Yeah, I think when you're building a receiving core, like everything you just described, like all those guys bring something to the table, but you need a guy that brings everything to the table, right? So they need one guy that can do it all. And then Landry looks like a nice little possession receiver and you can draw up some plays for the speed that Peoples Jones and Anthony Schwartz bring to the table and all that stuff. So uh, receiver is going to be huge. Uh, along the defensive line last year, I thought they did a really nice job of of piecing it together with veterans. They didn't get the best production out of guys like Malik Jackson, who got old quickly. Malik McDowell, who had his own, you know, he was coming back from not being in the NFL for forever. And then, you know, now has his own off field issues. Uh, I thought they got good production out of Jadavian Clowney opposite Miles Garrett, Tack McKinley before he got hurt. But all of that needs to be redone because uh, all those guys are not under contract for next year. They're all be hitting free agency. Uh, so you need interior players, you need edge players, uh, the defensive line in, in Cleveland just uh, needs a lot of attention this offseason. So that's going to be something I think they're going to attack both at free agency and the draft with uh, with a lot because um, – and, and it's okay because the, most of their secondary is coming back. Most of their back sevens coming back outside of Anthony Walker and Ronnie Harrison. So they don't have a ton of needs 
on the defensive side of the ball. They've done a good job building depth there, but defensive line is going to be huge for them. Yeah, and I think they'd be they they'll be interested in keeping Jadevian Clowney. I would imagine. Um, yeah. I don't think the Clowney's done what he's been trying to do for years, which is play his way into the the giant multi-year contract that he seems to want. At which point, like if he's been willing to take these single-year bets on himself for the last you know few years. <laughs> He's probably willing to take another one. And if like that's if the Browns can get him back for like another one year, eight, ten, twelve, whatever it is, million, do it because he was productive for you for, you know, two thirds of the season. Um, he is an important player to have opposite Miles Garrett. And actually a one year kind of short term deal where he bets on himself is a good thing for the Browns if he, if they can get that done. Yeah, so I think I think the Browns are pretty simple when you look at it. Uh do they Ronnie Harrison being a free agent at safety? Maybe you look there, but you do have Grant Delpit at least behind him. Uh, but J- Jadavian Clowney coming back, I think at the right at a similar price at like eight million a year for a year. Another good, you know, another thing I would do, right? Yeah. If, if you're the Browns, but um, if he doesn't, if he does end up going somewhere else, Clowney, then uh, you know edge defender is going to be a top priority here for the Browns either way. Uh, but the offensive line's pretty much intact. A lot of things are intact with the Browns. But getting a wide receiver talent, defensive line talent, top priority in Cleveland. Uh, we've made it through seven teams. We're on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is the first team where we would really say quarterback. Now, backing up to the Browns a little bit, Baker heads into year five. Would you put quarterback into the mix there for the Browns? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a need. Um, and it, it might be a need that gets filled by Baker Mayfield. We, we would expect him to have a better year next year when he doesn't have a torn shoulder the whole season long. Right. So maybe Baker Mayfield is the guy. Um, I would imagine they'll make him play out the fifth year, see how he plays. If they were to add competition for him, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. If they were to draft the guy, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. So the Browns at this point have an open question mark at quarterback. They don't know that they have one. They don't know that they don't have one, which I think is it just it, it's distinct from Pittsburgh that has a massive hole at quarterback and knows full well they need one desperately. All right. So we know the Steelers have a massive hole at quarterback. As of right now, Mason Rudolph, the scheduled starter, the Steelers, uh, whether they're going to go in free agency, trade, the draft, Big Ben's gone. We need to know who the next guy is in Pittsburgh. It'll be a huge story this offseason. But uh, clearly, need number one is quarterback for the Steelers. But it's not the only one, right? I mean, we're talking about an offensive line that was protected by a quick passing game last year. You, every time you needed to rely on them to you know, hold up for two and a half seconds or more, you, you just didn't get that sense. They were still not uh, creating holes in the run game. So offensive line is, is a huge one for the Steelers. And secondary, right? I mean... Terrell Edmonds, Joe Hayden, Akello Weatherspoon, guys who started last year for those guys, all hitting free agency. Um, and it wasn't like they were great anyway. So secondary, offensive line, but most importantly, quarterback. It's uh, There are a lot of needs in Pittsburgh. And you can easily make the argument this is full rebuild mode in Pittsburgh, which is something they've never done, right? Mike Tomlin's never had a, a losing season there in Pittsburgh. Yeah, like all of a sudden – this roster doesn't look great. Like top to bottom, it's not in a a fantastic place. You can even beyond the obvious needs, you can look at various different position groups and say, could they use like a significant upgrade somewhere? I mean, we think that the wide receivers or the receivers generally are in a reasonable spot because you've got Deontay Johnson and you've got Chase Claypool who can make 
uh, spectacular plays and Fryer move made a lot of, or had some touchdowns a rookie, but like, ultimately that's not an amazing group. I mean, if that group, that that's a bit like, you know, some of these other receiving groups we've talked about that's in need of the number one, right? Like Deontay Johnson's a really nice player, but if, should he be leading the line as your best receiver? Probably not. Um, so the Steelers could use a number one wide receiver. They could also start that defensive front is starting to get chipped away at in terms of whether they're getting older, whether they're just losing players that haven't been um, as good as they have been in the past. Stephon Tewitt basically didn't play this year. That'll help getting him back. Devin Bush has yet to pan out as the player they thought he was when they drafted him. So, you know, all of a sudden that front seven isn't looking as good as it's been in the past. I, this Pittsburgh team, a lot of these problems get papered over if they find an elite quarterback from somewhere, right? But if they don't, then this team might actually be in a worse spot than than it looks like it is. Sometimes you'll hear me reference uh, whack-a-mole when we're talking team building, right? And it seems like, you know, a team, will be, they're, they're pretty good and then just, you know, some some issues pop up. Like, oh, you got to completely redo the offensive line or, the, or all the secondary comes up at the same time. With the Steelers right now, it feels like an avalanche more than whack-a-mole. I mean, it's an avalanche at key positions. Of course, it starts with quarterback, but uh, as we mentioned, the offensive line hasn't taken strides. You know, you, you had the retirements and, and free agency that that crushed them last year on the offensive line, but I, I thought the secondary has been a, a two-year issue for the Steelers, that they just weren't able to – I thought that was as much an issue at times this year as, as the offensive line, right? Um so yeah, there's there's a lot of work to do here with Pittsburgh. They're not a team that that's gonna go nuts in free agency. So I think it's it's a year that puts a lot of pressure on their drafting, and um, they're either gonna trust last year's draft picks, guys like Dan Moore, guys like Kendrick Green, who played center, probably ends up moving to guard. Um, but it, it's gonna be one of those like piece by piece, adding pieces to the line, adding pieces to the secondary, all while exhausting all options at quarterback this offseason in Pittsburgh. Yeah, so that's and, it. And they're a team that I think might might need to chase a veteran because they're not like they're not in the position they were when they got Ben Roethlisberger in the first place, right? Which is the last like bad season that they had put them picking number eleven, where they actually had a shot at a high end first round quarterback. They had a half decent season this year. You know, they made the playoffs unexpectedly, and therefore they're actually not well positioned necessarily to snag the next era parent at quarterback uh the Steelers aren't great just at, at hiding their love for players everybody knew they loved Najee last year heavy heavy strong rumors that they love Malik Willis and I, I don't think it's a facade we'll see if uh not only if he's available at 20 but if that's the guy that they truly do love and if that's the the way that they go but um it does feel like rebuilding time in Pittsburgh unless they're able to really hit on a ton of moves here this offseason all right, let's move, on on the, let's move on to the AFC South. How hard could it be? We're going to start with the Houston Texans. Their needs are everywhere, Sam. It's the whole roster. It's the whole team, clearly. Uh, quarterback, I don't think you're building around Davis Mills. The offensive line needs some love. They need some pass catchers. They need the entire defense. So, yeah, the whole team for the second straight year in Houston. Yeah. I mean, somebody emailed us recently and was basically asking the question of, like what did Houston achieve this year other than simply the passage of time? Because you looked at it last year and they were making all these moves and nothing, nothing like nothing good was coming of it. Right. You're like, well, this is, 
we're really upgrading the final 20 spots on the roster here, but like to what end, what are we doing about the first 20 positions, which are the most important ones. And we're like a year into this now, the 20 players that they upgraded in the back end of the roster are all free agents. Cause they were signed for like nothing deals that were short term, take a look kind of things. You still haven't fixed the first 20 positions on the roster. And now you're exactly where you were a year ago, except instead of, like there's no quarterback slash Tyrod Taylor. It's there's no quarterback slash Davis Mills. Like what what did we do in the last twelve months other than play badly? Just looking at the PFF depth chart, which is uh, unofficial. We'll put it, it's unofficial. Uh, depending on what you call Roy Lopez versus Ross Blacklock, as far as who the starter is, according to my depth chart, there's five returning starters huh. on on the defensive side of the ball for next year. Right, so. Um, and even offensively, there's seven, right? So you're talking about, um, and it's not like they're losing a, a slew of great players. To your point, it, it's all the guys that they signed to these one-year deals. So um, it's another, it's not whack-a-mole, it's an avalanche. It's an avalanche of every position is pretty much a need here for the Houston Texans. Continue to add the best players you can to this uh, to this roster and get them in the program and uh, defensive line and true pass rush. I mean, Jonathan Grenard developed this year. That was nice. I mean, you could go back and say, okay, this here are some nice things that happened this year. Davis Mills outperformed his third-round projection. That's great. I mean, all that stuff's fine, but the whole defensive line, the whole secondary, got to start there on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, uh, Justin Britt, Marcus Cannon, got to replace a couple starters there and then you know figure out your pass catchers as well. Uh, oh, by the way, and figure out who your quarterback is long-term. Yeah, there are like four players on this roster that you would say are nailed in, solid starters that you don't need to think about going forward. And one of them isn't quarterback, um, which really does leave them with everything. Like, it, it's one of those things where you kind of put it in a lot of years and you're generally being facetious, you know, but the Texans genuinely need everything. Like, yeah. there is not a single position group that doesn't need there's not a single position group that wouldn't rank as like the number one need for basically every other team in the nfl like it's amazing actually that this roster achieved what it did given how given the state of it right now and, and two of those locked in positions you would say left tackle laramie tunzel wide receiver yeah. brandon cooks they're both making over 15 million per right, right. so the, do you take those guys and flip them for more assets right do you take a couple of the positions that you actually trust and, and, and put them out on the trading block just to get more draft picks, just to completely, uh, you know, redo this thing. So I, I think those are all fair questions. I mean, the answer for Houston, where are the needs everywhere? Next question, yeah. <laughs> next team. We'll move on. We'll fix them later at some point, but uh, it's a challenge there. Let's go to Indianapolis. Is quarterback the top deep here in Indianapolis, you know, reading, reading between the lines here, Sam, <laughs> Chris Ballard, the end of the season, basically saying, hey, we got to address quarterback, right? We weren't happy with it. Um, yeah, that that might be the starting point here for for the Colts. Yeah, I mean, she sure. said that and pass rush, by the way. Yeah, like, but on the other hand, you you kind of did this. Like, you're stuck with it. Like, the, the Carson Wentz, um, that last season went about as badly as it could possibly have gone in terms of, how that trade was going to work out, which is it looked like it was going to pan out. It looked like it was going to make you to the playoffs. Uh, you played him the whole way. You're guaranteeing like the first round pick that you're going to give up in the trade. 
and then he fell short, he imploded down the stretch, and you're no better off. And in fact, you're worse off because you saddled yourself with his contract that you now need to get rid of if you want to move on from him. So it's doable, but it's costly. Like if you want to walk away from that contract, it's going to cost you $15 million worth of dead money. It's going to like, it's not a cheap deal to be getting away from even in 2022. And then you're back where you were a year ago, which is like, who's the quarterback. I mean, this was why you traded for Carson Wentz in the first place was the fear of the uncertainty of having no quarterback. Imagine doing that a year later at the cost it would incur to cut Carson Wentz and having traded a first round pick to make that happen like that, that would be a hell of a bold move relative to how much the NFL hates, um, you know, hates abandoning sunk costs. But here's the thing with Wentz, right? If you're going to have a Carson Wentz or if you're going to have a middle tier quarterback, you, I think you have to go to extreme measures to elevate him with playmakers. You just have to do it. The, the Colts did the opposite. They went, they just kind of got some good players. I think you have to almost change. I mean, I, I respect Chris Ballard. I respect the organization in Indianapolis. I think they've done a really good job of making the, the team just a little bit better every year, a little bit better every year, right? I think with a Carson Wentz, you have to go to extreme measures at perimeter positions that might be devalued historically receiver and all that stuff. Michael Pittman emerged, was a really good player. You can't win just Michael Pittman and Carson Wentz, right? You have to be able to, if you want Carson Wentz to play anything close to 2017 Carson Wentz, which is literally the only season of evidence that we have when he had this level of playmaker, right? You just, you have to think about that and say, this is when he had peak Alshon Jeffrey. This is when he had a, a one of the, the two good years that Nelson Aguilar had. Aguilar was excellent that year. I think Tor was Torrey Smith the third option that year. I, I can't remember who it was, but we had Zach Ertz there, right? You had all of these options for Carson Wentz, and you got the best play out of him. You have to go to – I don't think you could just like, oh, it's Jonathan Taylor's team, and we'll run a little play action. Like You can't create great offense without great playmakers – with Carson Wentz. And I think that has to be the focus. Now, again, I said this all last off season when Julio Jones name was out there in the trading block, I would have gone for Julio, right? I would have gone for all of those guys for the Colts. Maybe they wouldn't have pan panned out, but it didn't pan out anyway with what they had with, you know, a declining T Y Hilton with Zach Pascal with Mo Alley Cox. Mo Alley Cox is a good complimentary piece, but you need more receivers. Now, all that said, I don't think they want to bring Eric Fisher back at left tackle. I don't think they felt good about that pick. You know, he struggled a little bit uh, coming back from the injury. Uh, Ballard already talked about the defensive line and trying to get more pass rush. They just invested their top two picks in the defensive line last year. So there are other holes that are popping up here, but I think the only one that if, if Carson Wentz is under center next year, the only thing that elevates them back to playoff team and then contender is having like two more legitimate threats with Michael Pittman. And that's the best chance the Colts have. And I think that's where their biggest needs lie. I mean, yeah, if you're keeping Carson Wentz, you need to dramatically upgrade the guys he's throwing to. Otherwise there's no chance of any of this working out. I mean, that offensive line was the best in the NFL on paper heading into the season or one of the top two or three. Uh, they 
barely got the group playing healthy all season long, it started to look like the best offensive line on paper towards the end of the year when they did have them all healthy. All of a sudden, you know, free agency is going to start chipping into that, whether it's Eric Fisher. I actually think they'd be smart to bring him back. Like, it didn't work out necessarily last year. On the other hand, what did you expect coming off an Achilles injury in the AFC championship, right? That was never going to be a quick fix the fact that he was back playing last year, I think was pretty impressive, let alone playing at, at any kind of decent level. So to me, the only way you even make that move, if you're the Colts was almost to put you at the front of the queue for this free agency. You know, we bring him in, we give him a one-year deal. We'll play him. It's not going to be great, but now we're like the team for next year. Now we can say, okay, based off the year we just spent, you know, will you get, will you do a long-term deal here? So maybe Eric Fisher stays around, does a long-term contract, but uh, Mark Lewinsky on the right side, right guard, needs to be replaced, I think. All of a sudden, you need to keep a really good offensive line intact in front of Carson Wentz, plus add receivers to him. And then, you know, that that's what I think has them thinking. On the other hand, we could get rid of Carson Wentz and try and get a better quarterback. Yeah, I just think it might be tough to do that, right? Uh, I don't know who the upgrades are for Carson Wentz that are readily available other than the star names who could hit the trading block. And there's a lot of money on that contract to, uh, to maneuver. So uh, regardless, I think it's another year of me, you know, pounding the table for, for wide receiver and just general playmakers with the Colts. When it's, it, to me, it feels like they really want to, they really want to win from the inside out, which is offensive and defensive line. And, and they've had the line for the most part, the defensive line hasn't performed all that well, but either way, they're still lacking the explosiveness that they need offensively. The interesting thing would be like, you could potentially cut Wentz and sign like a Jameis Winston and end up paying the same amount of money and then keeping Carson Wentz. Like the, the dead money, the dead Jameis. money for Carson Wentz, plus whatever you would end up paying for Jameis Winston probably amounts to about the same as what you would be paying Carson Wentz. Um, and I would, you might be better off from a play point of view. Well, from a trade standpoint too, what we've seen around the NFL is one man's uh, one man's burden is you know someone else's you know something someone else covets. I don't know what there's probably like an official line of way of saying that that I didn't get. But a team like the football team that's very desperate for a quarterback would they take a Carson Wentz? Would the Panthers who have been looking would they take a Carson? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I mean where there's. There's a difference between, like, would they take him and would they trade for him? Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Um, I think uh, I think it's a tough spot for the Colts. I don't completely blame them for the Carson Wentz move. I don't think there were great alternatives yeah. at the time. And if you look at it from a – if you step back and look at it, like, here's this risk we took that could have paid off. It didn't pay off. So here we are. Let's figure out where we uh, – how we make it best going forward. Um, and if you're stuck with Wentz, so to speak, man, I, I think there's still something there if you load up on the perimeter. I think there's still something that you can work with. with Carson I mean, Wentz. it sounds ridiculously stupid, right? But if you strip out the bad games, and there was only really three of them, like there were three terrible games for Wentz this year that dragged that overall grade down a ton that accounted for like all of his turnover-worthy plays, all those kinds of things. Late in the year, like the run-in wasn't good. But it wasn't catastrophic either. I know that the the Jacksonville game was obviously pretty ugly. The, the also, Vegas game wasn't good. But like 
but he wasn't actively winning games either is the no, thing right but like but to a degree i don't think they wanted him to like that's the thing like they they sort of constructed this they understood they were dealing with a very delicate like delicate situation in terms of a quarterback coming off his worst year clearly with his confidence around his knees um just trying to like make sure this thing didn't go south in a horrible way and he was playing a reasonably clean brand of football and then there was that two-week period you know the terrible rain in san francisco the awful tennessee game um and then late in the year as well there was the patriots game and then the the run-in wasn't great but it wasn't terrible either but like you strip out those three absolute cataclysmic games you actually don't have a bad carson Wentz season albeit one that as you said like wasn't a ton of big plays wasn't wasn't incredible either right but if he'd come out of the season without those three games you would be saying that's probably a pretty decent job by uh frank reich and by the colts like they've got a quarterback that all right maybe he's never going to be the guy that he was earlier in his career the mvp caliber guy but he's good enough to get you to the postseason to be in contention with jonathan taylor and a great offensive line and yada 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 but with those three games all of that disappears and it was those three games were enough that he's not they didn't make the playoffs in the first place and all of a sudden you're looking at the kind of totality of this and saying i mean that was a mistake right trading a first round pick for him. the other element to this there's so many teams around the league right that are dealing with this question cleveland with baker and the colts with wentz if you're going to get call it 70 75 play in pff terms if you're going to get that at the quarterback position get it with a rookie quarterback where we could invest in the rest of the roster and now the colts are they, the colts have done it with a ton of money locked up in wentz plus they don't have a first round pick now because of wentz that's where that stuff starts to snowball a little bit and that's the risk that they took last year in this uh it, with the wentz trade all right, wrapping up the AFC South, we got the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's uh, it's another similar situation as the Texans. It's everything. Uh, the whole roster needs help. It's starting on the offensive side of the ball. If you're going to maximize Trevor Lawrence and his development, by the way, Doug Peterson now taking over at head coach there. If, if you're going to maximize Trevor's development, well, three-fifths of their offensive line, they're all free agents. Um, it's not, you know, it's Cam Robinson, Andrew Norwell, A.J. Can. They didn't play great. They haven't played great over these last couple of years anyway. Uh, playmakers, you need you need guys to throw to. There were many games this year where it was Laquan Treadwell, who's developed into a nice three or a four. Laquan Treadwell and Tavon Austin were the guys that you know, Trevor Lawrence was throwing to. So uh, starting there in the offense, it's everything. But, man, they need some playmakers for him to throw to. Yeah, they really do. They need, I mean, playmakers and off. They need to build an offense around the quarterback that they took and is supposed to be this generational talent and, you know, didn't show a whole lot in year one. On the other hand, didn't have an awful lot helping him out. So the only good news is, um, you know, LaVisca Chenault is a talented playmaker, maybe underused, maybe badly used in the offense a year ago, could be a lot better. Um, They didn't have Travis Etienne at all year one, right? Didn't had the Liz Frank injury, um, didn't play at all in, in year one. And he was being talked up as this um, hybrid player, a guy that could line up a wide receiver, line up in the backfield, admittedly by a coaching staff that is no longer there. But the point is he has uh, talent that could cross positions and potentially be a, an impact player for this team, even with James Robinson still there. So it might be a situation where this group isn't quite as terrible as it looks if you find that number one elite wide receiver that can make everybody kind of 
if you find the next Jamar Chase that all of a sudden makes everybody down the depth chart look better. And Jamar Chase wasn't just incredible himself, but allows T. Higgins to see more favorable matchups, but frees up space for Tyler Boyd. And suddenly, like, the entire Bengals offense just looks better top to finish or top to bottom. If Jacksonville can find that guy, this wide receiver or this receiver group and offensive playmakers group might look a lot better than it actually is right now. Yeah, so I think there'll be a lot of focus on the offense. Um, I know I've mentioned Allen Robinson before, too. I, yeah, so I, I, I mentioned the same free agents a lot, too. But I remember when I was when scouting Trevor Lawrence, I was thinking Allen Robinson is the type of player that would be great. I know bringing A-Rob back to uh, Jacksonville is probably unlikely at this point in his career. But give me a big true number one for Trevor to throw to. Uh, the other thing, when you look up and down this roster for the Jaguars, there's really not a lot of just long-term assets on this team. There are guys hitting free agency, and then there's a lot of guys heading into the last year of their contract as well. Um, and when you look up and down, this is everywhere. There's nobody on the offense signed beyond two years. No projected starter signed beyond two years uh, other than Trevor Lawrence. It's just LaVisca Chenault with a couple of years left, 22 and 23. Defensive front seven does not have anybody signed beyond two years. This is a long-term rebuild still in Jacksonville the entire front seven grading in the in the 40s and 50s last year for the most part other than you get an emerging Josh Allen you get an emerging you know Dwayne Smoot was okay uh but there's no long-term assets here in Jacksonville so there's a lot of work to do and the needs are plentiful and they're on both sides of the ball and it's got to be a really good combination of smart free agent deals and a lot of good draft picks yeah, and remember, because they've been changing so often as well in terms of coaches, like the high-end picks that they spend have been immediately shipped out the door again. Like C.J. Henderson. C.J. Henderson, yeah. First-round pick. Where was he? Like a number 11 overall, something like that? It's not even there anymore. Like, nine. Gone. I think he was nine. nine. Yeah. Like immediately shipped out the door. So, and maybe the next regime, like maybe Doug Peterson's crew would have loved C.J. Henderson. Don't even have him anymore. Don't have, not an option. So, right. Yeah, like Jacksonville has a lot of work to do as well because things have been so bad for them recently that even the things that have gone or even the things that could have solved uh, some of their problems have been shipped out. All right, I'm tempted to fix them. I'm tempted, but that's not this show. We're not here. We're just declaring the problems. We're just providing the problems here. A lot of problems. We'll We'll solve them later. A lot of problems in Jacksonville. All right, AFC West, four teams to discuss here, starting with the Denver Broncos. Uh, When you look up and down the roster – It's looking pretty good. There's a lot of good stuff there in Denver. There's a lot of offensive pieces. Uh, The defense definitely has some holes as far as, you know, players and uh, contracts and in the front seven. There's some really nice stuff in the secondary, but we know the most obvious need. It's quarterback because uh, Teddy, Teddy's just a bridge quarterback, Sam. You hate when I say that, but that's all Mm -hmm. he is. And uh, his time as a bridge is over. It is time for the next guy in Denver. So who's it going to be? But that's... uh, that's the biggest need, obviously, with the Broncos. Yeah, it was their biggest need last year. It's their biggest need this year. Um, they got rid of a defensive-minded head coach because they never gave him a, a quarterback to work with. And now they bring in an offensive-minded head coach. Presumably, order of business number one is going to be securing that true franchise quarterback, whoever it's going to be, not rolling with Drew Locke again, not finding another Teddy Bridgewater, but actually going – all in for a quarterback that's supposed to be the answer uh if you go beyond quarterback for this particular team for the broncos 
you got to look at edge rusher. They just traded Von Miller. And uh, no matter what happens in the Super Bowl, if the Rams win, they're certainly happy with the Von Miller trade because he is the highest graded defensive player in the playoffs right now. The Broncos are happy regardless. They have a second and a third round pick in, you know, to replace him. And uh, they'll probably have to use, I'm not saying those specific picks, but they'll be using some draft picks on some, some true edge rushers. Uh, Malik Reed, Jonathan Cooper, you know, did a nice job as a rookie this year, but uh, edge rusher, definitely a place they need to look at all. A lot of their linebackers unsigned after they went through a ridiculous number of injuries. Yeah. But I think the entire front seven certainly needs some love in Denver. Yeah, I mean, generally, like, this is why these windows are so tight because all of a sudden, like, what was a really good defense? Um, they're just losing a lot of guys, right? Just the attrition year on year, the turnover that you're going to have from any good defense is so high. Maintaining that group for any long period of time is just a nightmare. They actually end up, you get Alexander Johnson, who becomes a really good player for them after a late start in the NFL, Josie Jewell was a really good pick for them in the draft. They both hit free agency now. Uh, maybe they keep one of them around. Maybe they try and keep both of them around. But all of a sudden, both your linebackers are gone again, having lost them both to injury this season. Um, and the secondary is starting to lose guys as well. Kareem Jackson, Bryce Callahan are hitting free agency. You've done a good job in terms of contingency with the Patrick Sertan pick last year, even though people want you know, <laughs> it was a decision to do that rather than grab a quarterback. But one of the reasons you do that is for a year like this where you're losing right. guys, right? And you have the contingency to step in and maintain high-end players. But basically the entire defense now starts to need, if not depth, then fringe starters and, and guys that can make an impact quickly. Yeah, I love the idea of adding depth a year early. And that is absolutely what the Sertan pick you know looks like as far as looking back right now. So Denver's pretty clear, man. I think front seven, quarterback, quarterback number one, front seven's a huge, uh, a huge factor. Um, you mentioned the couple spots in the secondary that need some love, but uh, it'll all start under center. We'll figure out where Denver ends up going, but um, definitely some needs on that defensive side of the ball as well. All right, let's go to the Chiefs. Uh, always, I mean, look, we spend a lot of time talking about the Chiefs because they're in the playoff picture all the time, but. Um, the Chiefs and their strategy around Patrick Mahomes is just always going to be, you know, really interesting to see how these pieces fit. I think um, yeah, I'm still of the mind that the third option, you know, that third playmaker is massive for this team. Um, even with Mecole Hardman kind of emerging this past year, Orlando Brown hits free agency at tackle. We anticipated this. They anticipated this. We'll see if they bring him back. Um, edge defender. Also another yeah. huge one. Um, and then the other underrated part of the defense that hits free agency, Tyron Matthew and Traverius Ward. Traverius Ward at corner, he's been one of the more underrated corners in the league for a couple of years now, right? He was one of those guys like on paper, it didn't look great, but he's played some good ball for the Chiefs. And Matthew um, has just been such a good leader for that secondary there. So uh, there's some money coming off the books, but there's also some holes that the chiefs need to take a look at here. I think edge rusher is huge. Uh, they're, they brought in Melvin Ingram who made a real impact when he arrived this season um, and was making some really big plays for them, was consistently generating pressure as well. They have Frank Clark. That's just been a disaster of a trade for them. Like Frank Clark is being paid so much money and is doing almost nothing. 
there was like a brief period this season where he found a little bit of pass rush from somewhere and then it disappeared almost as soon as it arrived. They might be stuck with him next year anyway because it would be expensive to cut him. On the other hand, he's offering so little that if they can find somebody to upgrade him, it might be worth just eating that money for the saving, like for the $13 million saving or whatever it would be. Like they need to find a legitimate edge rush that can be the number one guy because Chris Jones on the interior is going to bring a ton of pressure every single year. Really, really only Aaron Donald, I think, is a more consistent, dominant interior pass rusher than Chris Jones. But they do need that second guy. It can't just be one dude. And Frank Clark had a pass rushing grade of 64 this year, which was by far the best he's had in Kansas City. 53 pressures on just over 500 pass rushing snaps, including the playoffs. They just need an upgrade on that. It's it's going to be – there's a lot of turnover on the Kansas City defense too. Um, actually, both sides. I mean, again, when you think about what they've done from a team-building standpoint – They've thrown uh, a whole bunch of flyers out there for uh, at former first-round corners like DeAndre Baker and Mike Hughes. And, they, you know, other than Mike Hughes falling over against Gabriel Davis, got some pretty good play from him. I, they've done a decent job stitching that together. But a lot of those guys are gone as well. So a lot of the backups on both sides of the ball also hitting free agency. So we're talking about a team. I like to talk about the flashy stuff, right? Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Get that third guy, right? Either draft a, a high-end receiver or go get a high-end receiver and make it so these guys are uncoverable. Don't have any time where a defense can say, well, we took out the two stars. We took away Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Don't even allow that defensively. But it's not that simple. It's not always that simple because, again, Orlando Brown is a free agent. You haven't gotten any kind of pass rush outside of Chris Jones. These other things do need to be addressed. So uh, last year was all offensive line. I mean, the Chiefs went all in on the offensive line. It's not even close to a need right now other than this one position, right? So what are they going to do this year? Are they going to look at their defensive line and think of it through that same lens? Are they going to look at receiver at some point and just say, you know, I never want to live this life where Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey uh, are the only two guys. So I, I, I always love thinking about what the Chiefs might do here but there's um i think there's some work to do uh, on both sides of the ball this is to win super bowls by the way right i mean their their goal yeah. with the with patrick mahomes is to win a super bowl what's the best way to win a super bowl next year and beyond not just go to the afc championship again which you know which makes it uh makes all these decisions so crucial for the chiefs and they can free up a decent chunk of cash like they're again they're the Mahomes deal and the, the couple other big contracts that they have, they are, they're significant, but they're not crippling to what the Chiefs are going to be able to do from a, a restructuring and freeing up money standpoint. And that's why you might look at this and say maybe they do move on from a Frank Clark because it'll free up a bunch of money in addition to the money that you're going to have to eat um, to, to get that done. But they need to find some upgrades. And this is one of those things when you're paying – big money to a quarterback is it's not that every move needs to be great but you do need to hit somewhere on the draft you know a yeah. couple of times because those rookie contracts are so they they buy you so much breathing room in everything else so if the chiefs can find another couple of uh, impact players in the draft their lives gets a lot their life gets a lot easier or just finding average players right average is extremely valuable in the nfl when you have when 30 guys contribute in a given 
day in a given game. Um, finding average players on the cheap is, I think, is going to be huge for the Chiefs so they can pay their stars. All right, two more teams. Las Vegas Raiders to start. We got Josh McDaniels taking over here uh, along with Dave Ziegler at GM. So the Raiders, it's a whole new regime. Uh, do you expect Derek Carr to be their starter? He heads into, heads into the last year of their contract, of his contract. Do you think it's just prime time for the Raiders to trade him and rebuild this entire roster? Or does Josh McDaniels and uh, you know the new regime just say, yeah, Derek Carr, he's, he's more than good enough. He's our guy. Let's build around him. I mean, I think certainly this year they're going to keep hold of him and, and see what happens and where he can be within this offense. I think he's shown more than enough to say, like, we can we can put a good team around Derek Carr and he's a good quarterback capable of winning some big games. And we've seen that from him this season. Now, you might they might not be able to like it might not be good enough in this murderer's row of a division, let alone a conference. Um, where you've got to face Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert twice a year. But the the problem with trading him is I don't know what his value would be with any new team knowing they need to pay him and extend that contract and make him one of the best paid quarterbacks in the NFL. Like if the Raiders don't want to do that, I, I doubt there's another team that wants to trade something for it and then do it. Like the Raiders, the Raiders have the option of, of picking up that contract and saying, all right, Derek Carr becomes one of the best paid quarterbacks in the NFL. And it doesn't cost them anything other than the money in the cap space. Any new team has to agree to that and trade presumably a first round pick and then some to get that done i just i can't see many teams being that desperate to do it the tough thing about the Derek carr conversation is he's he's a top half of the league quarterback if you just look at pff war he's finished 10th 10th and 12th in war and just straight up wins added to your team over the last three years that's good that's really good but you're in a division with you know justin herbert and patrick Mahomes, who both are you know have finished in the top three or the top four or the top five uh in their couple years right so you're immediately working from a position of weakness just as a starting point at the most important position in football. And it's not a knock on Derek Carr. He's just not what we've seen from two years of Justin Herbert. And he's certainly not what we've seen from Patrick Mahomes. So uh, to me, that's a good starting point for the Raiders is what's the best uh, strategy here. The tricky part about this division too, in other, when you're in the same division with a Brady or a Rogers or whatever, sometimes you could build your team building strategy around like, well, they're probably going to retire soon. They'll be gone soon. Let's build for two years from now. Mahomes and Herbert aren't going anywhere. So, you know, if you have a three-year plan, well, they're still involved, right? They're still your competition three years from now. So um, we'll see where the Raiders look at those decisions. Their defensive line took great strides this year, mostly because of Max Crosby. Uh, but the entire defense, I think they've had an influx of talent in various places. Trev uh, Trayvon Mary last year in the draft, Nate Hobbs last year in the draft, but the whole defense, I think, just needs some players. I also doubt there's a chance in hell that Josh McDaniels takes that job, given what happened the last time he had a head coaching job, without knowing that the quarterback he had in place is the guy that he wants at least yeah. in the medium term, right? That's a good Can point. you imagine if McDaniels walks in there and goes, all right, first thing I'm doing again is getting rid of this quarterback and then relying on my ability to find the next one, given how well it worked the last time. I would be amazed if he was willing to do that. And if this is the job that he's like, you know, finally decided was the one to take, I would imagine he's fairly sold on Derek Carr, at least as a medium term option there and has a plan on how best to maximize him and all those kinds of things. So yeah, like if, if Derek Carr is your quarterback, 
God, that offensive line was pretty rough for the majority of the season. The receiving group was pretty rough as well once they lost uh, or got rid of Henry Ruggs. They need a number one receiver. They need a guy that can take the top off a defense. They need an offensive line that can protect Derek Carr for long enough to take advantage of that. Um, The defense, as much as it massively overachieved this year, is still not exactly chock full of elite talent. So any pick spent on defense is not a bad one. I mean, the Raiders are a really interesting team because they, they were pretty good this year in a really tough division. And yet you look and, and weathering all the things that they went through, right? The John Gruden, the Henry Rugg stuff. And yet you look at the roster and you're like, wow, they need quite a lot of things like top to bottom. Yeah. And, and that includes like, you know, Casey Hayward played great. Andy hits, you know, he's older and hitting free agency. Nate Hobbs played great in that slot role, but that's Gus Bradley's defense. Gus Bradley's done a nice job with Nate Hobbs types, uh, did it with Desmond King. So I, I, I really don't know how much you can rely upon some of the defensive players that are scheduled to return for the Raiders. It, it to me, it, it, it feels like a multi-year rebuild because of everything you said, right? Uh, only a handful of potential impact players on the defensive side, offensive line that that has holes receiving talent that uh just needs help in general so yeah there's i think there's a lot of a lot of work to do in vegas which again brings up the Derek carr questions interesting right is he is Derek carr far more valuable for a team like the colts or a team like the panthers right see and it's not that their rosters may, may be better but a team like the Panthers and Matt Rule, who are just like he's heading into year three, like he's in desperation mode. I got to find a quarterback, and I think it could be smart for the Raiders to uh, to start from scratch or even get, you know try to get a fraction of Derek Carr's production, but on a rookie contract, fresh quarterback. But those and are just like, try to replenish the draft picks here. When you look at the options of teams, the desperate teams for quarterbacks, right? Denver within the division, that's not happening. Carolina. Um, they're on the hook already for whatever that is, $16 million worth of Sam Darnold's fifth-year option. You then pick up Derek – you then trade a first-round pick for Derek Carr to then make him the best – like one of the top five best-paid quarterbacks in the NFL. All of a sudden, you've got like $55 million tied up in the quarterback position next year. That's probably not happening. Same problem with the Colts, right? Even if you get rid of Carson Wentz, then you're that's you're still on the hook for 13 or something plus – whatever you're you're making with Derek Carr's new contract, Washington, Pittsburgh. Now you're just saying, well, okay, do you want to trade a first-round pick plus stuff for Derek Carr and then make him this monster paid quarterback in the NFL? I just – I don't – I don't think that Derek Carr is good enough to justify the move that would need to happen for any other team to acquire Derek Carr. Yeah, to me it's – when you have a middle-tier quarterback like that, though, upper middle-tier – though the timing is everything right because it's with the Raiders it's a fresh slate it's uh, you know it's just they're in year one right can they be patient they might be sitting here in year three and in the same desperate spot that the Panthers are in I don't know but do you, it's a chance to take advantage of the rest of the league's desperation to maybe you know add resources yeah, but uh, I just I rebuild. don't think the re- I don't think the desperation is enough for the move that would need to happen for any of those yeah. teams to acquire Derek Carr. Like if if you cut Derek Carr tomorrow, I think every one of those teams would probably jump on it um, and and make it happen. Certainly the like the Steelers and Washington, the teams that don't yeah. have a, ch- a chunk of money already dedicated to that position. But the fact that 
three of the potential teams that would need a quarterback do have other issues like that. They already have cash tied up and that it would take a significant trade to make happen. I just, I cannot see that ever materializing. All right. So a lot of work to do in Vegas and some discussion about the long-term prospects of Derek Carr being there. Let's wrap it up with the Los Angeles chargers. Uh, Last year, first year with Brandon Staley. Quite the adventure, Sam. Every fourth down decision, uh, a lot happening. Justin Herbert, the second most valuable quarterback in the NFL until Burrow overtook him in the playoffs, but Herbert had another outstanding season. But Chargers also have a lot of players to replace. Mike Williams hits free agency. Defensive side of the ball, it's going to be fascinating to see the way they go with Brandon Staley. Definitely felt like... They, they invited the te- op- opposing teams to run, and they could not stop the run with you know, with what they had. So defensive line, I think, is going to be huge for them. Uh, the way that they revamp maybe their their cornerback room. They're, uh, for a team that I thought showed a lot of promise, they're still, there's a lot of work to do here with the Chargers as well. Yeah, I think they definitely need playmakers for Justin Herbert. Obviously, right now, Herbert looks phenomenal. Keenan Allen is still really good. Uh, Josh Palmer, you know, showed some talent towards the end of the year but again that they're that they're quiet crying out for that third option whether it's uh an elite slot receiver or whether it's a tight end that they could use uh jared cook is presumably going to be let go in free agency they just they need that third option within that offense somewhere um and then pretty much anywhere on defense i think could use an extra body uh they've got some good players it's not like it's not like some of the other teams we've talked about where there's literally basically nobody worth anything on that defense like they've got some good players at every level of that defense but there isn't a single area where they couldn't use an upgrade somewhere right whether it's edge rusher whether it's the interior guys to stop the run um guarantee some higher play at linebacker or replenish in that secondary i think they definitely they could just throw resources and upgrade the talent on defense for a head coach whose defense was the number one team in the NFL or the number one unit in the NFL when it was the last season with the Rams, when they had that elite talent. Yeah. I'll, I'll be interested to see what they prioritize, right? You've got Joey Bosa there. He's one of the league's best coming off the edge. A lot of money locked up in him, but do you want to go with another edge rusher opposite him? Uchenna and Wosu also hits free agency. It, it, it would be a hole either way. Do you want another edge rusher there? Do you, even though you invite teams to run, you'd rather be better against the run than what you showed. They have not had a good group of defensive tackles with the in the Chargers haven't had a good group of tackles in years. Uh, we're one year removed from saying the same thing about their offensive line, but I think they've they took a massive step in the right direction there last year. So I think defensive line is going to be the place this year. And you mentioned the playmakers for Herbert. If Mike Williams doesn't get re-signed, all right, who's uh, I don't want Josh Palmer to be my two. He's fine. I'd prefer him to be my three to go with Keenan Allen. So who's another big playmaker either there or a tight end for Justin Herbert. So I think pass catchers, interior defensive line, edge rusher going to be top priority here for the Chargers. Yeah. And I think the right side of the offensive line is something that they, they still need to keep working mm. on. They, they did a really good job overhauling that entire unit. The left side, I think is, is rock solid now with Slater, with Filer, with Corey Lindsley at center. Um, Brian Bulaga has reached the kind of injury history at this point where you can't assume that he's going to be there for any period of time. And Ode Abushi, who Abushi, who is a pre- reasonable right guard, is scheduled to be a free agent. So all of a sudden, the right side 
is is just not there right now um or at least you can't rely on going forward so if you can find a guy to let you get cheaper than brian bulaga who's scheduled to make you know 10 million or if you can find a right guard to come in and be a starter day one that's definitely i, I wouldn't ignore the offensive line just because you've finally got one that's halfway decent yeah i'm with you there there's definitely uh definitely a little bit more work to do on that offensive line so i'm fascinated to see the chargers this offseason as well because i thought they they took great strides last year and there's there's some work to do now on the defense to make it look like a brandon staley defense how about that that was pretty efficient getting through all the team needs we'll hit up um we'll hit up the nfc probably early next week probably next monday we'll touch nfc um we'll have a super bowl preview this week we'll also have whatever sam can find over there uh let us know if there's anybody you just want to hear on the pff nfl podcast we'll do some guesting and uh have some fun with uh you know a little change of pace here this week on the podcast don't forget nfl pod you get 25 percent off any of your pff subscriptions the draft guide uh, just got updated last week, over 315 pages of awesome. That thing started five or six years ago, has literally gotten better every single year. It's the best version we've ever had. And uh, you get it all a part of your edge or elite package, 25% off using the promo code NFL pod. If that doesn't work, use super 25, use that promo code. One of them will get you 25% off, I promise. So, all right. Happy Monday morning to everybody. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll be back on Wednesday with a little bit more PFF NFL podcast.